welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. At present, we're working our way through the book of Esther. As I've said before, it is an absolutely incredible story. It, it's full of all kinds of fantastic plot twists and surprises. But in all of this, what we see and, and what I think this book is designed to show us is the providence of God in all things, that he is actually in control, that he has not lost control even when his people are in exile, that he's not lost control even when his people are facing extinction, that he's not lost control at any point, but is actually ruling and overruling in the affairs of men to bring about his good, pleasing, and perfect will, the redemption of his people from sin and death. Yesterday, we began looking at chapter 3, and, and we took kind of a, a big picture look at Esther chapter 3, reading the whole thing and offering some comments along the way of, of what's going on in chapter 3 as these new characters are introduced and this program of wiping out the Jewish people is planned. Today, I want us to look back at a particular section of Esther chapter 3 because it's particularly pertinent for us thinking about how we live in the world, how we live in a kingdom, in a nation, under a government that isn't necessarily Christian, and how we kind of get along in this world. Because that was part of what Haman's complaint was about the Jewish people. And so there's something here for us to learn as the people of God. How is it that we're to live in the world, and how is it that people are going to see us? So, let me, read, let me pray for us first, then we'll read Esther chapter 3. We're just going to read verses 7 through 11 this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we find in it, that it directs us again and again to trust you. And we ask that as we look at your word, that you would guide us by your spirit, that we might know you, that our eyes might be set on Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Esther chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them, as it seems good to you. Now, the part I want us to focus on is there in, in verse 8 specifically, where Haman is describing the people, where he's describing the Jewish people that he thinks are a scourge or that he's presenting to the king as a scourge to the kingdom. Now, we know that the real issue is not that that they're problematic citizens. The real issue is that Haman hates Mordecai 
and therefore is extending his hate to all the people of Jewish descent. But it's interesting, the, the lies that are told in the presentation of the people of God to the powers that be. It's not an uncommon presentation. It's not an uncommon way of thinking about the people of God throughout the centuries. Depending on the nation and the moment in time, it's been more accurate, and, and at other times it's been less accurate. And of course, with the Jewish people as a people, this has often been presented. But I want us to think about how this relates to the people of God, to all those who by faith look to Yahweh, even us Christians who look to Yahweh through Christ in faith, which of course is the definition of the true people of God according to Scripture. There's four things that Haman points out about the Jewish people. First, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Now, I'm following J.G. McConville's commentary here and some of the comments that he makes because they're quite helpful as he deals with these four points that Haman lays out. This first one is just simply, it, it's true. There, there was a people that was scattered abroad. Years before Ahasuerus, they had been captured and scattered abroad. That was what the dispersion was all about. That's what, what exile was all about. And in fact, that's how one common way in the ancient Near East that a nation that conquered another nation would kind of dilute their control. Rather than killing them all or letting them stay in their land, they would take, particularly at times, the, the kind of culture makers, the, the powerful people, the that the, the capable people, the leaders of society, all of these different things, and the, the thinkers, and, and, and they would scatter them abroad to dilute their effect because they couldn't get together and they couldn't talk and they couldn't kind of continue in their traditions. So they would scatter them across the new kingdom. And so, indeed, Haman is correct at this point. There, there is this people that is scattered abroad and dispersed among the nations and all the provinces of Xerxes' kingdom. But as we see, as we look at what else he says, we see that he's not trying to present this as a fact. He's trying to present this as something that is nefarious. He's trying to present that their existence on its own is problematic. Then he adds, their laws are different from those of every other people. Well, this is true and not true. When we look at other ancient law codes, we, we actually find a good bit of overlap between the, the Ten Commandments, between the, the law of God and other law codes. Now, of course, anywhere that we're looking at the, the cultic laws of Israel that require all of the, the, the worships and the festivals and the sacrifices and, and all of those things that are specifically focused on Yahweh, well, yes, there is a great deal of difference there. But when we look at the, the civil laws and the calls for justice and the calls for caring for the poor and the calls for you know honoring the king and all of those different things, well, there's actually a great deal of overlap. But here again, Haman is trying to build his case that, hey, these people are a cancer in society. Then he adds, and they do not keep the king's laws. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Here we're getting into just pure bald-faced lies. At this point, he's mad at one of the king's servants. In fact, he's mad at one of the king's faithful servants, 
who has sought to preserve the king's life. He's mad at the people and he's presenting the people as not obeying the king's laws when one of them, through her obedience to the king's decree, is now the king's chosen queen. But this is exactly how things happen. This lie is told, they're off on their own, and they're doing their own thing, and they have no desire to obey the king's laws. And then he comes to the conclusion that he's wanting the king to come to. Therefore, it's not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Because they're scattered all over the place, they're going to have this great influence. Because their laws are different, they're, they're, they're walking to the beat of a different drum than everybody else. And because they don't keep the king's laws, this is going to be a problem, king. And so it's not to your benefit to tolerate them. Let's just get rid of them. Now, here's the problem with all of this, of course, as we've just looked at. Haman is the reason the king is still alive. Esther is the one who obeyed and, and did all of the things that were demanded of her and now has been chosen as the king. She's the one who pleased the king and all of the... It, this is patently false. In fact, when we go over to Jeremiah chapter 29 and see how the people of God were commanded to live in exile, we see that what Haman is presenting is, is you know, clean contrary to what they were commanded. Jeremiah chapter 29, we read this letter to the exile. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet, still in Jerusalem, is sending a letter to these people that are scattered abroad now under all the provinces of this later kingdom of Xerxes, but it's the same, the same rules would stand. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, okay, so we, we've just set the historical context. This is earlier than the story of Esther, but this is how the people of God, the people of Israel, were to conduct themselves in exile, which they still were. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, that is in exile, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now here's the question, what were the prophets and the diviners prophesying? Well, if we go back to Jeremiah chapter 27 and we read verse 9 and verse 15, we're told exactly. Jeremiah writes, So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. 
For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. And then down in verse 14 and 15, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. The people of God living in exile, even as we are now as the church, are not to utterly reject anything that comes from the state just because it comes from the state. We're actually to live in the cities. We're to to seek the welfare of our neighbors. We're to, to seek the good of the people around us. Why? Because in their good, in their welfare, God told his exiles way back when, is the people of God's welfare. There have been books that have written uh, that that talk about the need for Christians to to kind of gather and build their own societies so that they can be free from and and utterly separate from the world around them. Yes, we're not to be in the world in the sense of living a worldly life, but we are not to withdraw from the places that God has called us. This is what... The Jews, though it's not true and it's actually not what their law told them to do, were being accused of in Esther. And oftentimes this is what Christians are being accused of, sometimes rightly, because anything that comes down, and we've seen this over the last year or so, anything that comes down from a civil authority is automatically rejected simply because we serve God, not man. Now, that is true, and when we're called to disobey God's word, that is certainly what we are to do. But the Bible presents a picture of our lives as starting from a place of seeking the welfare of the city. And and those who tell us, don't serve the king, the king of Babylon, that had driven the people of God into exile, God says they're they're lying to you. They're, They're telling you the wrong thing. And it's in this context, after telling them to ignore the prophets who say, don't obey the king, and and telling them to seek the welfare of the city, it's in that context that we read those famous verses. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Sometimes we forget that even the exile was God's plan for the people of God, and through it, he was going to give them a future and a hope. Sometimes we act as if it is our job as Christians to reject the civil authority in order to establish a future and a hope for us, to to so break free from the world around us that we have a future and a hope. This is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. Yes, we are to live according to God's word, but his word tells us, even as it told the exiles before us, seek the welfare of the city because I have a plan for you. Might we learn to trust God in that way and so be able to genuinely love our neighbors and seek the welfare of those around us that God may be glorified by his people. Amen.